So, Mark. Yeah. In the movie we're talking about this week, Angela Bassett throws some major judgment on the movies that Tay Diggs brings back from the video store, which are The Lion King and something else that I've forgotten. Which is a mix of understandable and very rude. I feel like Lion King was good and the other one I was like, "Mm, she's got a point. (laughs) Well, I mean, her criticism of the Lion King thing is that she feels like it's a childish choice, but also, you know, she's dating a 20-year-old, so... (laughs) Anyway, we'll get into that. What I was wondering was, in the days of video stores, what was your go-to video rental? Well, my go-to in the video rental was the PlayStation demo station. I would just immediately run over and play whatever game they had running. Because you could rent video games at Blockbuster, which was a great system because you could try a game out before sinking money into it. R.I.P. But I remember always running to the comedy section for sure. But my parents, frustratingly, were not the repeat rental kind of parents. So I wasn't allowed to rent a movie more than once very often because they were like, we already paid to rent that. We're going to watch something else. And if you want to rewatch a movie, we got movies at home, (laughs) which is the same argument of we cannot stop for McDonald's for dinner. We have dinner at home, which I think is a better argument than the movie one. It is. But I also can understand why... If they have their one movie night a week that they are having to suffer through a movie for kids anyway, why they wouldn't want it to be the same one. Yeah, make it at least something different. Yeah. How do parents deal with that? I guess that would explain why we only had one family movie night a week and it was because they wanted to watch grown up movies the other nights. Yep. But I was a big Lion King fan. Gotta say. Okay. We owned that though. I was gonna say we owned that one. In terms of Blockbuster, the thing that I would always look for was what Land Before Time movies they had. Mmm. Classic. Rented a lot of those over the years. I feel like most of my trips to Blockbuster were just spent looking, and I don't remember renting things. I loved well, I mean, the looking. The fun of it was just wandering around the shelves. Right. And I remember a few of the video games that we rented from Blockbuster, including... Echo, which is a video game where you play a dolphin and it's terrible. Yeah, that sounds no good. It was so awful. And it was one of those times where I'm just like, thank God we can immediately drive back to Blockbuster and give it to them. (laughs) Yeah, that feels like a 90s video game, honestly, where a lot of them are, I don't know, just like walk around and see what you see. Yeah, it was like a PlayStation 2 game. But also the just walk around and see what you see video game is coming back in a way. But it's much more immersive storytelling based, a thing that video games did not know how to do back in the 90s. No. Speaking of video games, by the time this comes out, I should have a PlayStation 5. Whoa! Yeah, my sister and her husband were both checking the same Twitter feed telling you when things were going on sale, and they both bought one. So now I am getting one. That's excellent. Have there been any like cool releases that you're excited about? Well, I really want to play Assassin's Creed Valhalla, because you get sure. a... B- you get to kiss people. Um, Ooh, apparently there's not that a- is exciting! According to one... <laughs> critic there's not enough kissing in the video game which is very upsetting we gotta lay the groundwork the more elements of the sims a video game can incorporate into it the happier i am you spend a lot of time in assassin's creed just making people stand in corners until they pee their pants i wish i started playing the sims again recently and i made a character that is so haunting named gouda chorizo what have you been doing to gouda uh just her face and general appearance She's living a decent life. I am not above cheating with Motherload, but I made her as ugly as possible. 
I think she's married, which means she's going to be a widow soon. Oh, no. <laughs> like, you're going to kill her husband? Uh, wife, excuse me. Oh, and sorry. yes, because all of my Sims are black widows, because I really enjoy the dating part. <laughs> and when the Grim Reaper comes to visit. Well, that's the best. I have mostly not been playing a ton of video games, but when I do, a big part of it is just so I can, like, catch up on podcasts. I'm like, this is a thing I can do while I play a podcast next to me. I've gotten really into this show called Dead Eyes. Have I told you about it? No. So, Connor Ratliff is this actor and comedian, and in, like, 2000 or whatever, he auditioned for a, like, minor one-scene role in Band of Brothers. And he basically booked it, but then it turned out it was an episode Tom Hanks was directing. And at the last minute, Hanks was like, actually, I don't know about this guy. So he had to go in and like re-audition for the scene. And then he didn't get it. And the reason he was given was Tom Hanks thinks you have dead eyes. Oh, God. And so the podcast is like jokingly an investigation into whether or not Tom Hanks actually said he has dead eyes. (laughs) And he's been like contacting his agent from the time and like anybody he can connect to associated with the production there's an episode where he talks to the guy who got the part what it really is is just like actors talking about weird and awkward audition experiences or like strange moments in their career like there was an episode with leah thompson where she talked about like some funky pieces of her career and like being in back to the future and then like playing alternate versions of herself in back to the future movies And she also talked about actually something that was sort of hopeful, but didn't seem like it would go anywhere, which is that she and the artist Joe Quinones had a meeting with Marvel to pitch the idea of her directing a Howard the Duck movie. I hate you. I hate you. (laughs) It's been so long. It's been such a glorious run. And unfortunately, Marvel basically was like, well, we plan things really far out. So probably not. But they didn't definitely say a no, so it's possible that that will be a source of future duck talk. Ugh. (laughs) Let me tell you, Mark, I heard from multiple people who've really been missing this key segment of our show. That is one movie I will never forget that we have covered. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. All right. I don't know how we got to duck talk, but should we start the episode so we can end it? (laughs) Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Dad. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast committed to digging into one of the least important issues facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are any of these people actually dateable? Or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are looking at the iconic 1998 wish-fulfillment romance, How Stella Got Her Groove Back. I really wanted to like this movie more than I ended up liking it. I enjoyed it, but did not love it. I enjoyed a lot of it, but then it also, there's just a lot of it. (laughs) Yeah. If the movie had ended with him coming back for Delilah's funeral and them reuniting then, I think that would have been like a tight 90. You could have padded out some stuff before that. But that would have been a good cycle because they'd already like she met, she left, she went back to Jamaica, had a fight with his parents, went back for Delilah's funeral. Then he shows up and confesses his love and they kiss and end credits. I think that could have been a movie that I was really on board for because all the stuff after Delilah's funeral, I was less invested in also because Whoopi Goldberg was no longer in the movie, which was a choice that they made, a choice I <laughs> disagree with. 
but I found myself just losing interest towards the end of the movie. Well, yes, I mean, the last chunk of it feels like it takes forever. Yeah, because there's just so much back and forth. It does not follow the simple structure of, like, romance, big fight, reunion. It is romance, big fight, reunion, big fight, reunion, big fight, reunion, big fight. And I think there's something there to the idea that, like, this is a difficult relationship in a lot of ways, and they find themselves struggling in many different ways to try to make it work. But I think Roger Ebert's review of this movie is very good because he gets at this too, where like pieces of it are very good, but it doesn't all quite hold together. In part because by the time they have like the last breakup and Winston goes off to the airport, you're like, this feels like a good, natural, mature resolution to this story. Yeah, the ending poisoned me on the rest of it because I was so happy. I was like, wow, a couple that is not working out, realizing it and deciding to maturely end the relationship on good terms and each pursuing their own path in the future great love it it feels like this should resolve having been a meaningful fling and then they go their separate ways definitely instead there's a run to the airport and they get engaged yeah he's also 20 is so young yes his brain is not fully developed which i think shows if he had just been 22 i would have felt less icky the whole time. It's funny how often the movie brings up the, like, I'm old enough to be your mother thing, but always dismisses it immediately. Even to the point that, like, when they meet Winston's parents, for, like, a second, there's this shocking moment where Stella realizes that Winston's mom is a year older than she is. But then, like, that's just it. They leave and the parents are never brought up again. Yeah, they could have investigated it more. Yeah, the movie keeps tiptoeing towards these really interesting explorations of ways that it is hard and complicated and frankly at times kind of icky and then always shrinks back. It's like it can't decide if it wants to take this seriously or if it just wants to be wish fulfillment. And I will say that very few men in their 40s are a match for Angela Bassett. True. She is by far out of everyone else in this movie's league besides Tay Diggs. Angela, that's the job, Bassett. But 20 is so young. His brain is not fully developed. And I think that shows in the impulsiveness he does. His frontal lobe is underdeveloped. You could have honestly made as compelling a movie with him at 25 choosing to go to medical school or not in terms of the conflict of him moving forward, because you still have 40 and 25 still very different, but 20 is just so young that I never could really get on board. There's the thing where she is always complaining that, like, you know, he wants to watch The Lion King and play video games and, like, eat junk food, and she's like, it's like he's a child. It's like, yeah, he's a child. (laughs) Yeah, and her friend Angela is terrible about addressing it, but she does raise some valid points throughout the movie. Yeah. So, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, it comes out in 1998. It's the first feature directed by Kevin Rodney Sullivan, who'd done a bunch of TV, but this is the first time he directed a movie. It is written by Terry McMillan and Ron Bass. Ron Bass is a Hollywood guy. He got an Oscar for Rain Man. He's the writer of My Best Friend's Wedding. And Terry McMillan is adapting it from her novel. She was like kind of a hit writer of the 90s, writing about black women. She wrote Waiting to Exhale, which had been adapted into a very well-received movie in 95 that also starred Angela Bassett. But the thing about How Stella Got Her Groove Back is that it is this wish-fulfillment narrative, but it is also fairly autobiographical. Okay. In that Terry McMillan, at 42, went on a vacation to Jamaica and struck up a whirlwind romance with a 20-year-old Jamaican man named Jonathan Plummer. They started a a whirlwind romance in, like, 95, 
they got married in 98, the same year the movie came out. And so it very much was framed as like, this story, it seems incredible, but it's based on her life. It's based on her love story. It then becomes a source of incredible acrimony because in like 2005 or maybe late 2004, the Jamaican man, Jonathan Plummer, tells her, you know what, Terry McMillan, I'm gay. And Mark's eyes just bugged out of his face. (laughs) Yeah. So this then leads to a very ugly, very public divorce because she is an acclaimed writer and this romance is the inspiration for a novel and movie. It all gets very ugly. He says, I didn't realize I was gay. This is a realization that I have come to. She argues that he used her and that's why he didn't tell her that he was gay until a month before his citizenship ceremony. There's like a lot of back and forth ugliness. At one point, she won a judgment of intentional infliction of emotional distress, like post-divorce, basically arguing that he had intentionally humiliated her during the divorce proceedings. Yikes. It's all very ugly. You can actually find video. In 2010, they did a sit down with Oprah where they talked about the end of their relationship and what their status is today, which basically at this point, she put it as basically like he was fulfilling the role of boyfriend and husband prior to coming out. But at this point, they are far from being BFFs. That's such a shocking story. And I love it. It's wild. And like, the more you dig into it, the more you're like, there's no hero of this story. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it does kind of sound like he was using her for citizenship. And also money, because she put like $200,000 into his pet grooming business. Oh, oh, yikes. And I will say, Jamaica's not exactly known for its friendly attitude towards gay people. Right, so it makes sense that, like, he would not have explored that while he was living there. Right. It also is a good reason for wanting to leave. But that's honestly, uh, imagine if they had been that ending. Right. The sequel. At some point, McMillan alleged that he was just, like, hanging around resorts waiting for single women that he could have take him to the U.S., which I imagine was probably not the case. No, I don't really see that happening. Oh my god. I love this movie more. It was funny because, like, pretty much every time we do an episode, I go on the IMDb Facts page which is fairly unreliable because anybody can submit IMDb facts. And they're often just stupid, where they're like, here's a fun fact about this movie. This actor was in a movie with this other actor who is not in this movie. (laughs) Or like, in this movie, a Green Hornet comic book appears. Later, the 12th lead of this movie appeared in the film The Green Hornet. But instead, I read it and I find this thing that, like, it's based on a real relationship. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. You know, I'll add it to the thing. And then I just did a little bit of Googling and I found all this tabloid coverage. I am shocked and I love it. And also knowing the fact that this is based off of a true story really throws me for a loop in general. Doesn't it? I don't know how much of the narrative is based on a true story. I just know the baseline concept is. The goes to Jamaica, has a whirlwind relationship resulting in marriage with a 20-year-old Jamaican man. That alone is enough for me to feel weirded out. Yeah. I just remember myself at 20, and there was no way I was ready for marriage. To a 40-year-old? Like, even outside of that, just the concept of marriage at 20 is wild. Yeah. And yet people do it. I don't get it. I'm just shaken to my core. Wow. Um, can we talk about Tay Diggs' accent for just a hot second? You mean his occasional lilt? His occasional half-hearted attempt at a Jamaican accent? Oh, it threw me off. I genuinely thought at first, 
when he started talking that it was going to be an American person making a joke Jamaican accent. And then the accent kept going. And then he said he was from Jamaica. And then I was very annoyed. I mean, this is a big breakout role for Tay Diggs. We talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago on the Best Man episode. But like he had been in Rent on Broadway and he's actually still in Rent when he got cast in this movie. But yeah, I think the Jamaican accent is not his strong suit. No. I mean, he's good in it, but the accent was Yeah, this movie did also turn him into a sex symbol. Well, I think his body and face shape played a part in that. It does feel like there was a conscious effort in making this movie. Before they shot every scene, they would ask, can we plausibly not have his shirt on? Yeah, it is definitely that kind of movie. That said, I appreciate that it is kind of a female gazy movie where we spend a lot of time ogling Tay Diggs and... Basically none with Angela Bassett. Oh, yeah. This movie is very much about how sexy Tay Diggs is. The movie basically offers that as the explanation. Because, frankly, we don't see them have that much in common. No, it's really just they have good sex and then they get married. Which I don't love. It's not a great thing. And that's, again, the struggle with this movie. Where you're like, look, they are good actors and they're both hot, but... It's not clear what else there is to this relationship. And in fact, we're told over and over again all the things that are not there in this relationship. Yeah, the movie spends way too much time on the reasons it shouldn't work. To then end with them together. To end with them together without giving more, not that I want them to make the movie longer, but without giving more about why their relationship does work. Yeah. Also, the fact that she turns down that job for him, I was very confused. I was like, you could... You could have that job and be with him. Yeah, but then she couldn't make her furniture. Yeah. Which she absolutely could do as a hobby. She definitely could. Which is what she did before. And she could also afford to continue doing it with the job. I don't know what her plan is after. I assume she has Do you know what a money market is? I mean, yes, it's like a savings account, but slightly different. But the real question is- I just know that's what she works in. What Russian government bonds have a guaranteed 65% return? Because for that, <laughs> In I do say, sign me up. Yeah, because the Russian the government- Famously booming Russian economy of 1998. Everything going swimmingly over there. You're probably just paying an oligarch. Yeah. That was a really wild line at the beginning, <laughs> I gotta it, say. You know, it was nice to see Victor Garber as her boss in a three-scene role. I- Love him. And he is someone that always just shows up and is great and then leaves. Never gonna do wrong. And I I also do love, and we talked about this a little bit on the Legally Blonde episode, I love a Victor Garber deployed menacingly because he is just so reliably good that when he shows up and he's like, whoops, you're not keeping your job, or whoops, I'm sexually harassing my students, or whoops, our company is poisoning all the water in West Virginia. You're like, oh my gosh, Victor Garber, I expect this from other people, but not from you. I really appreciated how cowardly he was. Yeah. He was not, he wasn't actually menacing in this. He was just a coward. He's spineless. He was yellow bellied. But I thought their scenes together were really good. Angela Bassett and Victor Victor Garber have played Winston. I mean, it's a very different movie. (laughs) I don't think he could have pulled off 20. But I mean, Tay Diggs is like 26 in this movie. I would watch a romance movie about Victor Garber and Angela Bassett starting off as rivals and ending up together. Yeah, that sounds great. She just looks so good in this movie. (laughs) 
Yeah, she always does. I she know. She was good in Mission Impossible she, three years ago. I know. She is stun. She is one of those actresses that you're just like, she is stunning. You see her and you're like, oh, of course, you should be the star of a movie. Yeah, she is really just drop dead gorgeous. Also, we haven't talked about Whoopi Goldberg yet. I loved her in this movie. She was such a good best friend. She is, and she really does feel like she has her own world going around, where she just, like, I don't know, spends her day packing the bulges on mannequins to make their dicks look bigger. They have really created a whole character with her in not a lot of scenes, and she does have a life outside of her friend. Granted, it's keeping secret the fact that she has terminal cancer. (laughs) Yeah, that part's less good. But also the stuffing mannequin underwear. That's how she's introduced. I love that. Walking through a showroom, pulling out the waistbands of underwear and shoving padding in to make the bulges bigger. She does have terrible taste in men because Buddy and, oh God, what's his name? It's like Buddy and Rock or something. (laughs) Jack? Jack, maybe? They are She, like, upon arriving in Jamaica- Picks the two worst men and is just like, Stella, I got our guys. We're going to bang these two for a week. Yeah, it was, they were rough. I do love Barry Shabaka Henley just going for it all the way and like stripping down to his thong. That was quite a scene. Um, Very excited to discuss that further. <laughs> the, the pajama disco. Wild. What resort are they staying at? Because their travel agent is very fun. Yeah, it seems great. Ugh. I kind of hated watching this movie, I gotta say, because it starts with them just dropping everything and going to Jamaica for a week on a whim. And not even the fact that I, one, couldn't handle that monetarily or emotionally. And two, the idea of traveling just in general right now is so painful to see. In the normal world, that would stress you out far too much to do. I know, that's the that's the thing is it's like... The fact that now it's even dangerous to myself and the world around me confirms why I shouldn't do spontaneous travel, but I was so jealous at the same time. Yeah, it seemed nice. I would love to go to a beach. Also, the weather has to be nicer because there are beaches within driving distance that I could probably space out at, but it's- But it would be colder. February. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, uh, before we get in, just a couple of quick stats on this. How Stella Got Her Groove Back opened on August 14th, 1998. In number two, in first place, was week four of Saving Private Ryan, which made a ton of money and went on to win Best Director. Ultimately, the movie grossed $39 million against a $20 million budget. So a modest little success in a decade where movies buying about black people are growing more and more mainstream. And at the NAACP Image Awards, it won for Best Film, Best Lead Actress for Angela Bassett, and Best Supporting Actress for Whoopi Goldberg. It got a nomination for Best Youth Actor or Actress for Michael J. Pagan as Quincy. And interestingly, the soundtrack is certified gold, peaked at number eight on the Billboard 200, and number three on the R&B chart. Wow. It's a good soundtrack. Yeah, it's good. But I am a little surprised. I feel like the 90s was really, a, I guess actually the 70s, through the 90s was a time where soundtracks could really shine on the charts. Yeah, and that's also a period where we have a lot of really good, like, chart-topping original songs, too. You get I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, and I Will Always Love You, and... Well, that's not an original song. Yeah, but that's an example of one that becomes a hit in part with a soundtrack. Right. Also, I mean, it's a cover of a hit song. Like, right. Dolly's version wasn't really unknown before then. 
granted, the Whitney Houston version has eclipsed it. Right. And then we've talked about big soundtracks like Dirty Dancing mm-hmm. and Grease and Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou, I feel like, was the last huge movie soundtrack. Um, excuse- I believe you are forgetting a little film called Shrek. Oh, I forgot that came out after. Uh, the soundtrack is by far the best part of Shrek. I owned it on CD. Great songs, great movie. Big fan. You are absolutely correct. The soundtrack is the best part of Shrek. How else would they have four montages in a 90-minute movie? Can you believe that that's in the Library of Congress now? In their, like, preserved films? Congratulations to Shrek. It is historically significant, and I will grant them that. Write me back when The Croods gets added to the Library of Congress. I think it's interesting because I think Shrek is the first movie added to the Library of Congress because of memes giving it new relevancy. I mean, it's also the the first winner of the Best Animated Feature Oscar. It's the first movie to have to reanimate its lead character multiple times that helps lead to it looking kind of funky. Because Mike Myers came back at the last minute and was like, I would like to do a Scottish accent, so you're going to have to reanimate everything. Oh my god. Classic. Uh, Have you seen... The DVD came with, like, fake bloopers that were also included just early animation. No, because I had Shrek on VHS. I think there was, like, animated fake bloopers kind of like Toy Story, if I remember correctly. But they also had just, like, the animation freaking out on the computers where it was, like, Donkey would all of a sudden grow to, like, 20 feet tall or something like that. See, that's kind of fun. Like, if you're going to do animation bloopers, do that stuff. Do your glitches. Let's see if I can find them online, because those were really funny. Maybe it was on the Shrek 2. Oh, yeah. I'll send you the link. Oh, please do. There's one of Princess Fiona just not having a face, but with floating eyes. No, thank you. Yes. Okay. Anyway, back to how Stella got her groove back. So should we start talking about the romance here? Yes. I mean, that is the movie, so I don't think we'll miss much. Yeah. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to help us summarize what is going on. And this week, uh, I am doing a thing that I felt was necessary because sometimes you do this when it's necessary. You don't do it willy-nilly anytime you just happen to feel like it. Mm-hmm. So there's a point zero. Mm-hmm. Because the argument for a point zero is important backstory that predates the actual romance. And I think the basic information that we get about Stella constitutes that kind of backstory. All right. I buy it, but I think that Fiona has done some justified point zeros that you have given her shit for. I think Fiona has done enough unjustified point zeros that any she does need to be viewed with scrutiny. It's like how in the Voting Rights Act, the original version, the Justice Department was like, states that have a history of discrimination always need to have their laws looked at, which is not to say a voting law they pass is always going to be discriminatory, but at this point, it's been shady enough you need to check it out. All right, I'll buy it, but I hope Fiona can come in and defend herself soon. We'll see her sometime in the spring, I'm sure. All right, so Will, what is our point zero? So Stella, played by Angela Bassett, has been single for many years. She's a single mom, and when we're introduced to her, um, I'm not sure if they're her sisters or her friends. I think they're her sisters. So one is her sister. The wa- so Regina, King, Regina is sister. King is her sister, and I think Angela is a friend. You need a husband, and your son needs a father. Had one, got rid of him. So glad I did. Stella, when was the last time you had a decent date? Tell the truth. Don't talk to me for the next two hours. Can we talk about the great Regina King, who is an ambulance driver, who is constantly <laughs> delaying things to talk on her cell phone? She's 
unbelievably fun in this. This is her coming off of an Oscar snub for Jerry Maguire, in which she is also incredible. She is so funny as the sister in this movie. She genuinely is like, oh, I gotta run, so just call me on the road. And then you see, oh, she drives the ambulance. Yeah, I also just love that she is like, always seems to be stressed and kind of hard up for money. But she's an EMT, so she has a real job. But she's also like, I need to borrow money from you. I broke your car. She's like the deadbeat sister with the most respectable job. Yeah, it's great. So their friend Angela is like determined to set Stella up. She's insisting... Like, you need a husband and your son needs a father. She's given Stella's phone number out to her husband's golf buddies. It's like all of the worst reasons to try and set your friend up with someone. Right. And also, Stella is... This is in the Ebert review, too. He says something basically like, if Stella's finances are to be believed, she shouldn't have too much trouble. The men should be coming to her. I know. But on the other side of that, some men are intimidated by a woman that makes more money than him. Sure. But yeah, Stella's house looks like a resort. She just goes to Jamaica three times on a whim. She sees a commercial for Jamaica and is like, let's go. There is some fun stuff where the commercial starts talking to her specifically. I loved that. I also loved watching her like fully in the moment on the phone with Whoopi Goldberg. Like, let's go to Jamaica. And then the immediate callback and being like, ignore my last message. And when Whoopi Goldberg calls back, she's like, I ignored the second message. We're going to Jamaica. Yeah, of course. So that takes us to our first point. What's your name, young man? My name's Winston. Winston Shakespeare. And yours, young lady? My name's Stella Winston. Mm -hmm. See, I gave you two names. You only gave me one. Well, the one I gave you was real, Mr. Shakespeare. You didn't know Shakespeare was really black. They're in Jamaica. Delilah has found them two men to bang. Yeah, I mean, this is clearly a banging holiday from the get-go for both of them. It seems like everybody at this resort is clear that it's a banging holiday. They have the pajama disco. Yeah, I don't think this is a very family-friendly resort. So, like, day two there, she's at breakfast, and Tay Diggs starts making eyes at her and saying hello and how's it going. He, like, just starts talking to her and... Then pulls the classic, oh, are you um eating alone? Mind if I join you? She responds with, are you a rapper? Which is allegedly the thing that Terry McMillan said to Jonathan Plummer when they met in real life in Jamaica. I was so confused by that. Not gonna lie. Yeah. It was weird. Here's what we need to talk about with the Tay Diggs character, Winston. He is the second black character named Shakespeare we have discussed on this podcast. Winston Shakespeare. And in Dr. Doolittle, William Shakespeare the 10th. It's it's just a weird choice to name your character that. Like, you could give your character any name, so you are consciously choosing to give them a name that will make people pause. Here's the thing. It feels like the kind of move you do in a book. Yes. Like, there's something... Sometimes watching a movie, you can just tell by the character names. You're like, oh, this must have been adapted from a book. The character names are too weird. Right. It's just Winston Shakespeare is so distinctive. I guess they are very rich. Presumably. Well, you saw his house. I don't know why that justifies the name Shakespeare, but it's still very odd. He does at one point declare, I'm here to put the P in paradise, which is very scandalous. (gasps) During breakfast. Ooh. Yeah. So he is immediately flirting with her and he asks if she's going to the pajama disco. Right. He's- She kind of- demurs he's there to like get a job but is also just like hanging out he is not a guest of the resort right we later find out that he 
was set to go to medical school and then was like, I don't know if I want to go to medical school. So he's just supposed to get a job somewhere. And like you said, he was there to get a job like in the kitchen at the resort. But somehow swung an invite to the pajama disco. Yeah. So she kind of demurs. She's like, whatever, like this weird young hottie. I don't know what he's doing. But then goes to the pajama disco. I will say she's in this like great, like cream colored lace nightgown. With a fabulous robe. Yeah. Like it's a terrific outfit. He, meanwhile, is in like a red mesh tank top and polka dot shorts. Right. Everyone else there is in very basic PJs. PJs or underwear. Right. And so then they start dancing. Whoopi Goldberg is scandalized. Stella's really getting into it. She's having a good time. She has given herself over to this. Right. Buddy and Jack, whichever one is for her, tries to come and steal her. And then all of a sudden, everyone's just taking their clothes off and there's boobies everywhere. Oh my goodness. I was so thrown off. I was just thrown off. I was kind of zoning out a little bit. And all of a sudden, there's just boobs everywhere on screen. And for a second, I was like, are we going to get peen? And I would have liked the movie more if they had the courage to show peen. Yeah, they just did a man in a thong. And then Tay Diggs' butt in one scene later in the movie. That's true. We do get some Tay Diggs' butt. But that was crazy. It's it's unbelievable. Are these real kinds of parties? I don't know. I feel like I would not find myself at the resorts where they happen. Yeah. This is like when we talked about high school house parties. Like, we're the wrong people to know. The travel agent sent her here. Like... Yeah. I just want to know, did she go to the travel agent and was like, I want a banging holiday and she sent her there? Or was the travel agent just Presumably like- Presumably she said, I need to get my groove back. You know what? Fair. It's not entirely clear to me what was wrong with her groove. That's the other like, thing. Like, she seemed pretty happy with I her I thought life. her groove should have been much further gone at the beginning for her to justify getting it back. Right. Like, other people thought she needed to get her groove back, but she was happy with her life as it was. She had a great relationship with her kid. She liked the work she was doing. Right. But after the PJ disco, they bang. Right. And I mean, for the next week, they just kind of keep banging. Well, no, because I don't actually don't think they bang that night. I, I think they don't bang till the next day because the next day they're oh, in right. the pool and she's like accusing him of flirting with her. And that's when they decide to like go and get sexy times and they bang. They talk about their futures and what they want and stuff. And then it's the morning after that. He's like, yo, Stella, turns out I got this job that I was here applying for. So I'm going to be busy for most of this week. And she thinks that he's blowing her off. That, like, oh, right. He got laid, and so now he doesn't want to see her. And she's like, this is why I shouldn't bang 20-year-olds. And it's like, well, yeah, Stella, you shouldn't bang 20-year-olds. Which is a believable occurrence, honestly. Right. And he's like, no, for real, like, come and find me on your last day. I want to see you. Right. And so it's this weird thing where, like, they have met a couple of times, they had sex, they had a nice heart-to-heart. And it's the situation of, is this going to become a real fling, or is this it? And it's clear that they both kind of want it to become more... But he's busy. Right. There's so much, like, so many ups and downs in this relationship from the get-go. Yeah. Because she is so mad at him, so she ignores him for a while, but then she tries to call him, and he is at work, so he doesn't answer, and then she takes that again as like, oh, it's over. But then he calls her, and then they're back together and happy. It's a lot of back and forth. But eventually she leaves not having reconnected with him, and she's like, that's that. And she goes back to California. She's living her life. Until she gets a phone number. Point number two. Whoopi Goldberg gave Winston her number. One moment, please. Mom. Yeah, what? Some guy named Winston. And he has an accent. And he calls. And then all of a sudden, she's just like, going back to Jamaica. This time, I'll bring my kid. Yeah. It's crazy. He asks her to bring a bunch of American junk food like ho-hos. Right. Because he is 20 years old. 
Right. He wants Cocoa Puffs. He's Coco for Cocoa Puffs. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Coco for Cuckoo Puffs. Yeah. So this is when I was really just like, oh, all right, Stella. I get it. You're rich. Yeah. She's just jumping back and forth in these planes. She's also unemployed at this point, too. Yeah. She quit her job. I do like, on this trip, the thing that I like best is at the bar when they decide to pretend that she is his mom, which is what everyone reasonably assumes. Well, yes, because his mom is one year older than she is, so it is believable. So they lean into it, and then they're like, yeah, we haven't seen each other in a long time, so it's good to greet each other, and then just start making out aggressively. It was odd, and I did not care for it. I enjoyed the weirdness of it. But then they have lunch with his family, Frankly, all too briefly, we see them for a second for his family to be like, Stella, you are much too old for our son. Then she gets angry about it, walks out, and that's that. We never see or hear from them again. Yeah, it's not really followed up because immediately after this, she finds out that Delilah has cancer and has to immediately go back to New York, I think. I think so. It was quite a twist. Like, they should have given the parents more time to breathe before immediately springing, like, my best friend is dying on the situation. That feels like a really interesting dynamic that the movie has no interest in. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I think this brings us to point three, where she has right. had to leave Jamaica to go to the death of Whoopi Goldberg. Did you go down there and fall in love with a 20-year-old boy? Are you crazy? How could you stoop so low? Mm, and I want to know how low did you go? Look at you, you're glowing and shit. And as she is giving the eulogy, yeah, I Winston mean, walks in. they have a really fun scene in the hospital reminiscing they, together. It's a good balance of funny and heartfelt. Right. But yeah, so then she's at the funeral giving a eulogy and Winston walks in. And she is very happy about it. Yeah. After they kind of broke up before leaving Jamaica. And so now they go back to the hotel. He insists he's in love with her. And he is going to stay with her in San Francisco indefinitely. Yep, so he just moves to San Francisco. They go to a surprise barbecue with all of her family and friends. She says she loves him. Things are going great. Everybody in her family seems to like him. Even her ex-husband is kind of on board. Her kid seems to like him a lot, but demands that Winston not break Stella's heart. Her kid wears Tommy Hilfiger overalls a lot. Yeah, and then I guess this is point four. Yeah, they're just living together for a while. We've gotten some sense of some of the weird stuff of it all where, like, you know, she's complaining about, like, he rented the Lion King and, like, gets Cocoa Puffs in bed because he's eating them in bed. But, yeah, point four, they go out to a restaurant. They get in a fight about paying the bill. But also somewhere in the mix there, he proposes to her kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, so he wants to pay the bill. And she's like, don't be silly. I have so much money. Just like, here, let me throw some money at you. And then he is like, you want me to be a man? It's like, "Mm, being a man doesn't necessarily mean paying bills. It also means just not eating Cocoa Puffs in bed. (laughs) These are the little goals that we have to hold ourselves to. And then he pulls a ring out. Yeah, and he's like, boom. He did fix up her wood shop, which is nice. Oh, that is true. But she says, I need time to think about it. And that he gets cranky about that, too, because we know that a week has passed. And she has, like, not talked about it either. And they're living together. It's weird. Right. So he pushes her on it. They have a fight. They have shower sex. But then he tells her that he is going to medical school and he's leaving in the morning. And This is where the movie should end. It looks like they're about to leave on really nice terms. Like, they have realized they had this moment but they don't actually fit in each other's lives, and they're going to go their separate ways. 
And he's in the taxi, and then as soon as the traffic report is like, oh, it's really bad on this road, but you'll get to the airport so fast on this one, I was like, ah, damn it, she's gonna be there. It's the kind of thing where it feels, you know, to bring up a movie I mentioned earlier, the conversation where it feels like they're breaking up for the last time feels like the breakup scene in Jerry Maguire, where Renee Zellweger is like, you know, we're not actually officially saying goodbye for the end, but if, you know we wind up not seeing each other again. Like maybe this next business trip should be a long one and we'll just like let things trail off. But the thing is like in that movie, they're both clearly better with each other. And in this movie, it, that's not clear. Yeah, it was honestly upsetting. But point five, she's at the airport. She beats him there. She beats him there and then says, have you thought about Stanford? Ever consider Stanford? <laughs> right. <laughs> I forgot about that. And then they kiss, and she accepts his proposal. End of movie. End of movie. So, Will, after all of this movie, do you find the romance of how Stella got her groove back believable? Not only do I not find it believable, I'm still not convinced that Stella's groove was missing. Right. I think if they went their separate ways at the end, I would have found it more believable. But it's just yeah. not really a situation where either of them seems better with the other person in any way. Besides them like having just good frustrate sex. each other. Yeah. All they do is make each other mad and have sex. Yeah. I think it is uh, no good and they should not do it. So every week we rate a movie on the 10 point scale with zero being the least believable, 10 being the most. Where would you rate this movie? We've talked a lot about how tricky it is to rate things that are based on true stories. Now, this is more inspired by a true story than based on a true story. It's not a literal transcription of Terry McMillan's life. There is the thing where this sort of happened, but also we have the knowledge of what comes later, which is that this relationship did not last for a variety of reasons in real life. I think I am going to give this, I'm going to give it a four. That's what I was going to say. It's more unbelievable than it is believable, but both of them are hot, so I believe that they would have good sex. (laughs) Sure. Do you find Stella or Winston dateable? Well, my opinion on dating 20-year-olds is well represented on this episode. I also am concerned about the Cocoa Puffs in bed thing. I think that Stella, separate from all of the decisions she makes with regards to Winston, is dateable. Yes, I agree with that. But the choices she makes in terms of dating lead me to believe that she is probably not dateable. They lead to some judgment questions. Yes. Do you think that they would stay together? Absolutely not. No. I don't know if I've ever been more confident. Yeah, there's no world where they would. I think we both know the answer to this, but if you did have to pick one person in the movie to date, who would it be? Who's your answer? It's Regina King. See, I want to say that. The problem is Regina King in this movie, while fun, is unreliable in many ways, which is why I think the answer is Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, good choice. She's definitely fun, but does have a more reliable element to her. And presumably, if we were in a relationship, she would tell me about the cancer. But dating Regina King just for like a little bit would be so fun. Not forever. Oh, absolutely. That's a good point. So many of the movies we have covered on this show have been adapted into Broadway musicals. So Will, I have to know, do you think there should be a How Stella Got Her Groove Back musical? So here's the thing. I think a Broadway musical is maybe the ideal medium for this story. I think it could be told much more believably through musical. Yeah, because we talk about this all the time. Musicals are all about heightened emotions, and I think that could be done really effectively for this story. Of course, again, my ideal version of the musical would end with them going their separate ways. Yeah, I think it would be a great chance to right that wrong. 
But yeah, they should do that. And also, a musical called How Stella Got Her Groove Back makes is a so great much more idea sense because you get to have some groovy music. All right. I think that's about it for this movie. Uh, I think it could be better, but I still enjoyed a lot of it. I'm glad to have seen it. I'm glad I've seen it. Next week, we'll be discussing a movie that I have seen, but it has been a long time, so I'm very curious to see how it holds up. We are watching Night at the Museum. I genuinely have no idea the extent to which this will hold up. I feel like there's going to be some really cringy stuff with regards to Sacagawea and also probably The Mummy. Yeah, probably. So let's find out, shall we? All right. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really help us out. Last question, Mark. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from How Stella Got Her Groove Back? Oh, boy. Um, be Tay Diggs. And if you can't do that, <laughs> go to a sex resort in Jamaica. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest advice the movie offers. Um, I mean, mine is, if you keep having fights and breaking up, you should stop getting back together. That's actually great advice. (laughs) There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Time to get our groove back. You know what I'm saying? Well, memories, they flood my mind. As the sun, it begins to shine. Reminiscing on the days gone by Do you remember those happy times? But I'd give anything to be back there Or just to celebrate those happy years Taking time to unwind Just following your mind And leave your troubles behind But when we started money was scarce Everything that we had we shared